0: Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favourite football podcast. Back to look at the transfer window as a whole, to look back at this January and see all the gifts it brought to various clubs around the world. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be host today. And joining me is Mister Sam Ty, the Rank God.
3: Hello, mate. How are you? Not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Hope you're all recovered. Uh, just. For everyone uh, out there that doesn't know, Jack missed his first Ranks FC podcast on Monday for the first time in 8 billion years. Uh, unfortunately, wasn't able to join us for the Monday postbox over on Patreon. So I stepped in to the breach and hosted and also had to hit the button that says record and then get the file over to him so he could take care of it because it's what I'm doing. It's very <laughs> stressful. Very stressful. I was just saying to the boys, I don't know why I was so tired on Monday night. I know now I've just figured it out lots of knots of stress without jack but good to hear you fighting fit mate absolutely returning
0: to fitness they well, is how we'll put it right now of course it's uh the man who was the busiest of the lot of us over the course of january our transfer guru mr dean jones have the messages stopped finally dj yeah
4: it's been a very nice morning actually um i've sent one one transfer message to someone um Yesterday, I don't even know how many messages I sent. My my eventual uh, time on my phone was eleven hours yesterday. There were a ridiculous number of messages going backwards and forwards. Um I mean people might be wondering, like, well, who am I working for? And all that I, so I do stuff for give me sport, like through um on the side of this as well and, and basically do all their transfer stuff. So yeah, it's like staying on top of stuff constantly. Like, that that month was It was madness. Like in the end, like not loads actually happened, but so much was talked about. And I think Newcastle, the first team that had loads of hype ahead of a transfer window, and then actually lived up to it by going after everyone that had been mentioned before the window opened. Like fair play to them for actually doing that because it was a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: no, it was. It was Um, right. We're going to get on to transfers as a whole. We're going to talk about some of the best deals that have gone down across the course of this window. But before we do so. It's time for things we love, and I'm actually going to indulge myself and go first this week. To be perfectly oh. honest, this is what happens when you miss a podcast; you will just want to
4: talk. Feel left and, out, don't you?
0: But <laughs> I've got to say that yesterday's deadline day in the evening, I recovered through the day, and I enjoyed myself mostly because I spent most of it watching Sunderland fan TV. Now, for those of you, you know, we we a year and a half ago, Sunderland were the melons of the decade. Um, Dean gave them what was a a serious (laughs) honour I'd imagine in how badly things have gone and Sunderland continue obviously as being part of of Sunderland Till I Die and all of these things to kind of roll around in League One not quite getting to where their fans want them to be and they had a really good transfer window to begin with I think Um, look at some of the names that came in Patrick Roberts Jack Clark we're looking at you know players here that I think will help to push Sunderland back into the championship next season but yeah Yesterday wasn't about that. It was about the fact that on their live stream, on their you know, stream in on YouTube, one of their presenters broke into the Sunderland Academy ground and spent the time running around, running up to windows, peeking in them with his phone, trying to show you what was going on. He thought Jermaine Defoe was in the building. Turned out it was Jay Matteta from Fleetwood. Um, he'd run up to him, been like, Is it Jermaine Defoe? no it's not Jermaine Defoe and anyway, the <laughs> next thing that happens is Sunderland black out all the windows because this bloke is running around Wee Philly in the academy complex we and Philly. then a drive a, a car drives past him and he goes I wonder who's in here he walks over to this by the way this stream is just still going on there's set three blokes he just like waves his mic when he wants to talk they mute him and then unmute him when he doesn't he runs up to this car he's like who's in here who's in here he winds down the window and it's Jermaine Defoe
2: <laughs> 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 Jermaine Defoe
0: was announced on Sunderland fan TV by Wee Philly and like you got any comments from the fans <laughs> it's genuinely the funniest thing I've, I've seen what in, did Defoe in, do in the, he just went, yeah, it's good to be back. Like,
3: <laughs> just roll with it. Just roll with but it, Jermaine. He
0: legit rolled down the window as well. Like, you know, obviously he didn't have to do that, but he was—he's going mad. He's like, Jermaine Defoe's here, Jermaine Defoe's here, <laughs> um, and then cool. everyone else on the live stream is going absolutely mad. Everyone was having a great. It was so enjoyable. I—I I, I have not laughed like this in a long, long time. Um, <laughs> the Sunderland also had a brilliant window, so it's a double double. They need a manager because they sacked Lee Johnson um, at the weekend after losing six 0 to Bolton. Um, which isn't great vibes. Um, but yeah, in terms yeah. of players brought in in this window, I think Jamie Teta is probably a championship player in waiting. Um, Jack Clark and, and Pat Roberts are two players with a point to prove who haven't lived up to the initial hype that either went through. But I think are still very, very talented footballers. Um, and now number 10, Jermaine Defoe. He also, his official releasing on the Sunderland thing was the Michael Jordan, I'm back. Um, but just uh, was 10. It? So um, nice. I just think it's a good window. Mateta, Tafo, Clark and Danny Bath from, uh, from Once of yes. Stoke. Um, mm. He uh, yeah, coming in to shore up the defence. I think it's a good window. So fair play to Sunderland, um, but more fair play to Wee Philly and the SAFC fan TV <laughs>
4: team. Just <laughs> absolutely sensational content. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that sounds a lot of fun, mate. Nice way yeah. to, for you to make yourself better.
0: It was. It was was me with a lem sip and and wee filly having a great evening. (laughs) Great evening. Um, Right. DJ, do you want to go next?
4: Yeah, well, I had a good laugh too, actually, at the end of the window, because um, Liverpool failed to sign Fabio Carvalho. And I'm really glad. Um, People say I should be neutral, probably, as a journalist. And I get this quite a lot of people, like, you should be neutral. Why? why should I be neutral? Like in my match reporting, I was always very neutral when I covered Fulham. And in fact, I probably went the other way even and was like a bit harsh on Fulham. That's but what we do, isn't it? To the clubs we love, we're, we're even we're even sterner critics. You are, generally, yeah. But at the end of the day, like I've been going to watch this club all my life and I'm not going to not have any bias there. So when Liverpool decide to come after our best young player on transfer deadline day at the end of it as well, I'm like... No, and and try and underpay for him initially, coming at five million pound. Like we could get that at a tribunal, lads. Like, let's come up with some proper money, here, yeah, if you want him. Fulham wanted £15 million. Liverpool weren't willing to pay it. Um, you know, I just think like show some respect here to the player as well as Fulham, because ultimately this deal didn't get done because they couldn't get the sheets signed for him to go back to Fulham on loan, which was part of the agreement in the end. And it's a strange one because that's the player really impacted here. Like he's, his head's been all over the place and Liverpool for, I wrote on Twitter, you know, um, small win for Fulham. And then like, people are like, how's it a small win? You've lost out on about 4 million pounds. and like, I don't care Ooh, about four million. million pounds. Like, I don't care about that. I'm a Fulham fan. You would if it was, like, was yours. <laughs> if it was mine. I don't even think Fulham will care that much about that, to be honest with you. Um, I think, I, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I think this
0: agreement has been struck and the agreement will stand. I, I think that's well, what's going it might not,
4: here. mate. It might not because what can happen now is in the meantime, a European club can come forward. And I know that Barcelona were actually really keen on him a couple of months ago. So I'm not saying I would love to see Barcelona hijacked Liverpool here and, and go and sign Fabio Carvalho but I absolutely would um, but ultimately I, I just think it's nice like for a, for a championship Music club like it doesn't ultimately matter we know Carvalho's not staying at Fulham for the rest of his career even really beyond this season but it's nice not to see them get their way and all these fans like tweeting me and tweeting other Fulham fans um, saying they hope we don't go up and all this kind of stuff it's like none of you even know who this player is Like literally two days ago, none of you have even seen Fabio Carvalho play football. And now he's everything to you. And I know like your Fulhamish pod had a bit of fun with it as well. Um, I don't know. I I, I actually spent
0: most of my weekend talking to the Anfield Rap about it. So I have actually been on more Liverpool channels than I have Fulham (laughs) channels talking about Fabio Carvalho. That was a waste of time. Um, Well, it it might have been and it might not. We might have to revisit (laughs) it in the summer. I think the fact that Nico Williams came to Fulham on loan, despite the fact this deal fell through, um, suggests... It's even funnier. Well, exactly. But also <laughs> suggests that there was no breakdown in communications between the two clubs. And obviously, yes, there are still the idea that, that things could be hijacked by a bid that would turn his head. But I think if he was convinced by the idea of signing for Liverpool in January, he's probably going to be convinced by signing
4: for Liverpool in February. He probably and, will, yeah. I and think I'd imagine Sonia's the that, only one really that could turn him
0: perhaps and I'd imagine that you know when that fee comes in even if it does go to tribunal which I'd be very surprised by if this is all to go with I think now they will just agree a fee outside of that and that will be that um then then that will probably happen so it doesn't really make any grand difference I don't think in the in the grander scheme of things I do appreciate what you're saying and that sometimes it's nice to be like hey we don't want to sell our you know this uh, our our best player we don't want to sell our academy assets no one does that that's fine and completely reasonable and five million did feel a bit derisory. Considering the FIFA Harvey Elliott tribunal, who'd played far 4. less minutes, was four point six million. You'd be yeah. imagining you'd be looking at more than that. I think Danny Ings has the highest ever tribunal fee, if yeah, I'm not yeah, mistaken, yeah. Sam. Um, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be one of those that mm. that feels like it's it's gone down that path, but look I think that probably what they fell on about 10 million with a with with a loan back clause was probably about fair um considering yeah, no. the contract situation um and then I assume that it'll go through in the summer so it is what it is but uh, I just hope that that it's not impacting in terms of the players uh, you know himself he's not upset by it and he's still willing to you know to work through the rest of the like, season it's just he's dealt with like it that.
4: well the, all, all the speculation we've had for three months now leading up to this like you wouldn't have even known would you when he's playing football you just have no idea with this guy like I just find it funny like little Fabio has become one of the stories of deadline day and it's like literally a few months ago no one even half the Fulham fan base didn't barely know anything about the lad. like that's how quickly these things come around and that's why it's so exciting to see these people emerge
0: yeah, absolutely. Right, Sammy, do you want to take us on to the last thing we love?
3: Yeah, let's uh, let's switch gears and go to the international, shall we? I mean, I, I feel like I need to do that because I've got a whole segment coming up talking about transfers. So I'm just going to deviate ever so slightly for a moment. And uh, with great apology to our uh, American listeners, I just want to talk about how good Canada are for a second. And I'll keep it brief because I know it hurts, but the 2-0 win over the USA... Uh, during the international break, means it's 22 points from 10 games in CONCACAF qualifying as we sit here today. Canada do play this, e- uh, this evening is this day as this podcast goes out. So they're playing on the Wednesday evening, uh, El Salvador away. So would fully expect Canada to make that 25 points from 11 games, continue their unbeaten streak in qualifying. They're four clear at the top of the table right now. They've scored the most goals. They've conceded the fewest goals. They've got a really exciting crop of young players. This is probably something that has snuck up on quite a few people. But after spending a fair amount of time now, probably the last 10 years, you know, with this sort of USA-Mexico rivalry, uh, sort of dominating the CONCACAF headlines, it's been pretty cool to watch another nation rise to prominence and not just insert themselves into the conversation, but pull clear of both of said nations. Uh, the last time Canada made a World Cup was 1986. It's the only appearance they've got to their name. They played three games, they lost all three, they did not. Con- they did not score a goal. Um, odds are Canada are not only making this World Cup at the end of the year, but they're going to go and provide a bit of a bigger splash than that. I gonna I would say they're going to win score, it. At- <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna score at least one goal. <laughs> they, uh, they're going to win
2: it.
3: At least one point. It's going to be a better story for them. And uh, look, for, from a personal perspective as well, uh, with, with my, my wife's brother uh, living out in Canada and working in, in the Canadian Premier League sphere, um, so now having extended family over in Canada, this is kind of just doubly exciting from a personal perspective, just to see these guys getting so excited about a sport that is, of course, not the number one sport in the nation.
0: Well, not even, probably not even close, right? Um, no, no, it's, no, less than, it's less than 10 years ago that Canada lost 8-1 to Honduras. Less than, you know, less than a decade ago, and now they are leading now they're leading this qualification that's a hell of a turnaround more than oh, anything yeah. else that's a serious turnaround and and look it's, a, it's going to be a group of players that inspires people um, and inspires people towards thing. And, and you know this has been a good month for Canada and Canadian football not only on an international sense obviously we saw the Lorenzo and senior deal go through for him, him to join Toronto which will increase demand will would be something that really does help to, to turn that kind of star power around and then this World Cup campaign going as well as it's doing it really does feel like Like it's a a time where canadian soccer's on the up and that's got to be a a, got to be a good thing i think during in the country so yeah completely agree lots of lots of fun to be had there and uh, i'm enjoying it too especially watching a friend of the pod Fonzie Davis uh, as Twitch streaming again, and going absolutely ballistic on <laughs> the Twitch stream um, Real enjoyed, real enjoyed that so shout out Fonzie as well um, right, after the break we are going to be getting back to these transfers and talking about some of the best ones across the course of Europe in this window don't go anywhere <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC. Where it's time for our big ranking: the five best transfers of the January window. And Sam, it's always important when we start this one to lay out the groundwork.
3: It is, yeah. First of all, I'd just like to say this: um, this is usually an easier task. January transfers that are worth singing about that aren't loans are typically few and far between. And as usual, I have done the standard, ruled out all of the sort of loan without an obligation transfers. I'd say that's, that's a cowardly way of doing business when it comes to this ranking. I think you've got to, you've got to put both feet forwards. You've got to go studs up and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to put the, the, the money where it matters here and you've got to really go for it. And to qualify for this list, it has to be a straight up transfer or a loan with an obligation to purchase. So there will be some players that you may, may have really liked in terms of moves that aren't going to be here because, you know, two clubs just took a sort of risk-free approach to it, but uh, yeah, it's been tough because as Dean continually says, it's been very busy. There's been a lot going on and on deadline day, all right, not quite as much happened as we thought, but still a fair few deals to, to crack on with. So Tuesday morning, the morning after I've done my best to sift through it.
0: All right then, mate. Well, let's get going. I imagine there's going to be a lot to discuss. Let's start with number five.
3: Okay. So at number five, I have put Bruno Gimarache from Leon to Newcastle for what looks like it could end up as about 50 million euros. Seems like about 42 million euros up front with another eight or so adding on. That's it's quite a lot of money here. Um, at a certain point, I thought it was going to come in a little bit cheaper and he probably would have factored in a little bit higher in this list. Uh, but for now, I'm going to pop him in at five. Bruno is an excellent player, uh, a, a player who does not belong in a relegation scrap a player who belongs at a Champions League club. So the fact that Newcastle have managed to convince him to join it is quite something. Of course, there's a financial factor involved. I saw some reports that his wage has been quadrupled. I don't know exactly what to believe, but I think we all know that he's going to be on a fair old whack here and that's part of the reason why. Sure, Newcastle, exciting project.
4: £180,000 a week, mate, he's on.
3: There you go. That's a lot of money, isn't it? I wouldn't say no to that. Um, and Leon pretty much probably kicked him out the door for the fee that they've received for him because they're, um, they're a bit short on on cash as well. A lot of French clubs are obviously struggling for that one. So Bruno is here. He's in England. He's on Tyneside and he's a wonderful player. And I get the impression that he's probably going to be something of a watershed player for them. Um, He's the kind of signing is a marquee acquisition that should Newcastle stay up. And I'm, I'm guessing they probably will now, given how busy they've been. The fact that Bruno is there is going to convince other players, other really good players that should be out of Newcastle's range to stick in and, and go for this project and join him. He, he's that kind of player. As a footballer, that you don't get much more majestic when it comes to passing. I've seen him produce multiple passing masterclasses for Brazil and for Leon. I think he's amazing at progressing the ball, either passing or carrying and dribbling as well. He will run with the ball. He's quite mobile. Um, he's quite tenacious at points. He's basically all of John Joe Shelby's best strengths rolled into someone who is just better, but also can run around quite a lot and set the tempo for a game that isn't playing at a snail's pace. And I fear for some of those players in Newcastle's midfield because I think they're about to get shown up a little bit. But from Newcastle's perspective, this is this is an absolutely amazing acquisition and something to be so excited about.
0: Yeah, I mean, there will be questions as to whether he can switch this and, and switch into a team that has, has had very little of the ball, right? Um, considering what his strengths are in this middle of this midfield. Um, now, obviously, if you're John Joe Shelby, you're a bit concerned about this because it doesn't look like you're going to be getting any misses as that kind of deep line progressor anymore once Gimadesh comes in there. Um, but I am slightly concerned. I, I, I think this is a wonderful signing. I'm not letting me put that out there right now. But I'm slightly concerned about how it, this translates. To a team, or how Newcastle translate themselves now to a team which would really
3: really get benefit from him having more of the ball in that middle spot, so I think he will give them more of the ball in the middle. I mean Newcastle have had terrible trouble holding on to it uh, even under Eddie Howe, who was supposed to coach a, a possession style and I think changing the personnel is as much a factor as changing the coach there. Newcastle built a team. That was in Rafa Benitez and Steve Bruce's image, and then they handed it to Eddie Howe. You, the the only place you can start in some in some cases is buying different players that fit the system better. And so Bruno, just his just his presence will definitely help in that area. But yeah, he's probably going to have to muck in a little bit more. He's going to have to play in more games where they have fifty percent possession or fewer, or quite a few more actually than compared to Leon. And he's going to have to show another side to his game. And Newcastle, with the profiles in midfield, they're just going to have to.
0: Yeah, who's, going to be his kind ball, of, who's going to be his ball winner?
3: Who's well, going to just be gonna his eh? Yeah, they're just going to have to muddle through it a little bit for six months. This is never going to be a perfect window. But the fact that Newcastle didn't pick the perfect partner for Bruno Guimaraes is not a reason not to love this transfer. And I know that's not what you're saying. It's just a thing. It's just a case of you got. You just got to get through the next six months. Like, it won't always work. It won't always look clean. Get to the summer. Don't get relegated. And then... Then you can start to really shape your team and your midfield around Bruno Guimaraes because the first piece is already in place.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, uh, and I, I, I do like it. I'm just, I, I'm intrigued as to this gives someone like a, I don't know, someone like an Isaac Hayden, who I don't particularly rate particularly highly, um, just a kind of scope to be like, look, just win the ball, just go and be yeah. a ball winner in the middle mm-hmm. there, and then give it to Bruno. Um, and I wonder <laughs> if they will go to a 4-2-3-1 here, um, or mm. at least a 4-3-3, three, three, um, rather than having these wing-backs. I know they've signed some some players who do seem to be at back five, um, but I'm just intrigued as to they go with that pivot, because otherwise I do think you might just not be getting the best out of of who's mm. there in front of you.
3: I think the best thing to do short-term is to play Hayden next to Bruno Gimarache and then in the summer look to upgrade on Hayden. Probably play Joe Willock, as the number ten, and go to a back four and play a four-two-three-one. Put Bruno Guimaraes in a, in a pair. They've got Matt Target now, who's an actual left back. They, they can sort of call on one of those now. Um, so they have put some pieces in place, and I think they can go to what Eddie Howe would probably call his preferred formation. And um, and and again, they will they, they will have to just muddle through it a little bit of points because the midfield will not always look like it's on song because the parts aren't there. But the first pieces. The first piece. It
0: it definitely is. Definitely is. Okay, let's go to number four. Shall we, Sam?
3: Okay, number four. This is a loan with an obligation. So it qualifies because they've got no choice but to pay the fee at the end. And it will be a record transfer fee for Atalanta when in the summer they make Jeremy Bogger's loan permanent from Sassuolo. This one happened really, really early on in January. They got this sorted in the first week. Then Bogger left for the Africa Cup of Nations. He only ended up playing about 15 minutes for the Ivory Coast, um, came off the bench once. I think it was in that game that they, they lost on penalties to Egypt, actually. So he's barely, barely used at all. And because the transfer was done so early and then he disappeared for a while, I almost forgot about it. And then when I did my little roundup and checked, uh, checked all the names, I thought, oh my God, I forgot about this one. This is a fantastic signing. 22 million euros speaks to how thrifty and how smart Atalanta have been in the market that this will be a club record. In this day and age, and they've been in the Champions League for three years now, 22 million euros is a record. And look, they need to do something in this area because they lost Papu Gomez one year ago. Josip Ilicic is not as good as he was. He's got a little bit older, a little bit more injury prone. And Atalanta may just be starting to flag in this area. They're losing some of that maverick ability in the final third. They've still got Gasparini. They've still got their incredibly complex and interesting tactical system. But they needed to refresh this area. And Jeremy Bogger is an incredible player. He may arrive probably a little bit too individualistic for Gasparini's liking, but six months of coaching under him and we'll see how that changes. But he does have that maverick ability, the one-on-one ability, the dribbling, the long-range shooting, the way he can just take the game by a scruff of a neck and just dribble 50 yards and score. He's a game changer and they don't come cheap. Well, they're not supposed to, but apparently Atalanta have found another one. They they always seem
0: to find a way, don't they? Hmm. It's an interesting one because this season's been a bit all over the place, isn't it? We've uh, we've seen less of him. I think he's made sort of just over ten starts um in well not even starts, I think he's made just over ten appearances uh for Sass. Um it felt like this transfer could have happened in the summer um and then clearly didn't um so there's that kind of element of oh did he want to be here and he's he, he's kind of struggled for minutes he's struggled to to produce any of the form really when he has played um that he showed last year but the technical ability you know we were looking at this last year and there was talk Dean, of, of Chelsea looking to bring him back at one point, now, whether that was, you know, paper talk or it was just, you know, rumours is one thing, but it shows you the level at least that people were looking at him and going, this is a reasonable player for a team looking to win Champions Leagues could have in their in their ranks.
4: Yeah, I don't know they were that serious about it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Um, it's such a It was such a fascinating window to see like the knock-on effects of things like that. And teams like Chelsea linked with so many people yet not actually having any intent. Um, So it was interesting. The clubs that actually ended up doing business sometimes were were the ones that weren't really being talked about for these players.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Well, I'm I'm excited about this one. And, And like you say, Sam, we saw a couple of Atalanta sides in the last couple of weeks, absolutely racked with injuries, with players out of position, with players everywhere. It gives them some options, which they desperately needed.
3: Yeah, massively. Absolutely. And didn't play too much at the AFCON, sadly for him and sadly for the Ivory Coast. They do have some serious wing options, man. I mean, that game against Egypt, they, they brought on Bogger and Zaha. They've got some... They are blessed with talent in that area. So no uh, shame on him that he didn't get, the, didn't get the minutes. Obviously, didn't really come into the tournament with much momentum. Uh, may need a month or so here to find his feet with Atalanta. Definitely some, um, some chalkboard sessions with Gasparini are required, but heading into the second half of this year, I think this one's going to explode.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely right. Let's get on to number three, shall we?
3: Okay, number three. Uh, I've gone for Rodrigo Bentancur to Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, there 19... a lot of bees here. We've had Bruno Burger and Bentancur. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> great, great analysis, Jack. Uh, uh, he's, this he's is gone what I'm here for. for he's gone for a nine. It looks like 19 million up front with six million add-ons so basically going to reach 25 million. um I'm fully aware that Benton Bentoncourt has not shown his best form for the last maybe 18 months, definitely. Yeah, 18 months, basically, all through the Andrea Pirlo reign and then the first half of this season, where well, they got a little bit better this season, I think, post-Pirlo. But he hasn't quite been himself. Um, but I have looked past that because... You know that a player of this quality and a player that has shown the quality in the past will rekindle that, possibly in a fresh setting, possibly with a fresh manager. Maybe it's a a difference in league, difference in manager, whatever it is that just needs to perk him up a little bit and he'll get back there. I have full confidence in Benton Kerr getting back there. And by there, I mean one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. I mean, this is a player that two, two and a half years ago was bossing, like single-handedly bossing midfields at... Old Trafford in the Champions League against a very strong Manchester United side. It's a, a player that sat at the base of Juventus' midfielders. they won title after title. He's been there for four and a half years, I think, since 2017. He's won so many trophies. He's been so important to them from right from the get-go. Benton Co is everything I look for in the number six. He's just just playing below his level slightly. He's tall, you know, six six foot one. puts himself about puts his full body into challenges and thunders around. His ball recoveries are good. His passing is clean and secure. He's everything. He's basically like sixty percent of Rodri, just not quite as good, but just like really similar in lots of different ways. And if you can just get that little extra something back from him, if you can just coax that good form out of him. 25 million euros is an absolute bargain. So I couldn't help but put this transfer in, into my list. If Rodrigo Benton ended up in the Premier League for 25 million, he was, he was going in.
4: Mm. I mean Tottenham have got a little bit lucky that you know this this came about I mean obviously it was Aston Villa that almost did their groundwork for them by like testing the water and seeing if they could get him out of there and I think that once Tottenham realised he was attainable um, they had the contacts on board to make the move actually happen and the club with bigger profile and obviously <laughs> yeah. bigger
3: high contact you mean Perattity rang Benton because yeah. he used to be a literally
4: with him. knows him couldn't have a better <laughs> contact yeah. um, so whatever Stephen. Gerrard was able to do at Villa, you know, Spurs were able to top it at a time when they were absolutely desperate for signings as well. So they've saved face here, to be honest, with these, these signings that they made there. With him and and Kuliszewski, they really have saved some face. but and it, and it looks now, when we look back at the window, looks reasonable, especially as they've managed to get rid of so much dead wood at the same time.
0: Yeah, I I mean there are some. It's a funny one here because I like Bentancur and I like him. You know, in at the bottom of midfield, as you say, Sam. He it does strike me as that kind of pure six. I'm a bit concerned that they might have got rid of anyone who's like a dribbling ball progressor to play alongside him because the one part of his game that really doesn't stand up and these elite kind of numbers, is that dribbling ball progression, right? The num the passing, as you say, is, is clean, it's fine. Um, he, he's a good passer from deep. And he very much feels like a, a DM rather than a CM um, without going all technical. Um, but he, he does feel like he needs someone alongside him who is going to drive with the ball in order to, to have those options. Otherwise, you get a little bit stuck. And the fact that Ndombele went out to Lyon and Giovanni De Celso went out to Villarreal, suggest to me that they don't have that player anymore in the middle who's going to drive along. And I do wonder how, well, we're not going to talk about Kudusevsky because of the way that he, his loan deal is, is arranged. It's not going to be in there in terms of how uh, eligible for your ranking. But I do wonder how Conte sets this up now. Does he go... 3-4-3, three, three, um, that old start, and, and play Kulisevsky on the right-hand side, the place where Lucas Moore has been playing, um, but potentially leave themselves a little bit short of creative value in the midfield pair, or does he try and play a three-five-two, use Kulisevsky as a kind of rotation piece for, for your son, um, and then get yourself something a little bit more creative, perhaps, in those midfield areas? And it, that's, I think, the big question, what happens next with this one. Not that this is, anyway, suggesting that would make this a bad transfer. I think it's a lovely transfer.
3: But- no, it's the same as Bruno Guimaraes at Newcastle. Like, okay, here's one piece. Where are the rest of the pieces? Um, I understand exactly where you're coming from. I think the short-term solution is skip the mid- field lump it to Kane I mean Conte likes doing that anyway he likes that pattern he uh, into Milan last season they went from Bastoni to Lukaku and then one of the central midfielders would then run would would approach and try to try and like group up next to Lukaku and he'd yeah. take the bounce back pass and then they'd move forward probably yeah, they don't Hakimi have anyone that's going to do that they don't have anybody that will dribble, dribble with the ball but they have players who can just run to within 10 yards of, uh, of Kane and collect the pass so there is a pattern that can work whenever you play two in midfield like you're you're probably sacrificing creativity in the middle but you're enhancing creativity elsewhere so you go back to conte's 3-4-3 three, three at chelsea he played matic and kante uh well, you know they were def- they were ultimately defenders for the team progressive defenders in a way in terms of how high they defended up the pitch but they weren't looking for creativity or ball carrying really from those two players in particular they went with the wing backs and the three forwards and I think there's a way to figure this out in the meantime for Tottenham. But what's obviously very clear off the back of this is that Antonio Conte isn't particularly interested in getting Ndombele or La Celso up and running and up to speed and sharp and fit. He's got rid of them. He doesn't yeah, want them. Yeah. Uh, they're yeah. not. They're not for him. And then
0: that leaves you with a Pierre bentancourt midfield, which is sticky, but um, it's warrior. Let's
3: it's, call it warrior. It's
0: going to win a lot of the ball, isn't it? Um, <laughs> we yeah. got we got a Dane a and a Uruguayan. They're going to win a lot of ball in the middle there. Uh, I they give are. you that for absolute
3: free. Um, okay, mm. lovely. Let's move on to number two. So number two is Luis Diaz from Porto to Liverpool. That doesn't Liverpool. begin with B. I'm um, so <laughs> Buis Diaz. Yeah. Uh, he looks like he's about 40 million euros up front and another 20 million in variables. I think this is just like a really reasonable fee for everybody. 40 up front is pretty good for a a top class attacking player in Liverpool's from Liverpool's perspective, potentially rising to 60 means it will be good business for Porto if it works out. And Dean, it's really interesting that you you mentioned the groundwork that Aston Villa did on Dentoncore for Tottenham's benefit, because that is exactly what Tottenham did for Liverpool on the Lewis Diaz deal. Now obviously Liverpool always had a plan to pursue Lewis Diaz. They were after him. They've been tracking him for ages. And Dean, you've been telling us on the post box on Mondays that Liverpool wanted to sign him in the summer. Now, as soon as Tottenham had a deal agreed for Lewis Diaz, this window, they were like, OK, we're going to have to bring that one forward because he's a long-term target. We really like him. So it's the same thing. It's like Tottenham have kind of benefited from this. And also, they've had one player sort of taken away from them on the other side. Now, they ended up plugging that hole with Kudasevsky anyway. But the fact that Tottenham and Liverpool are after this player and he's costing 40 to 60 million will give you a pretty decent clue as to how good he is. Um, we talked about him on our Spotlight. Uh, and we've been circulating that clip on on Twitter recently and, and, and you, many of you will have seen it. But Jack and I are huge fans of Luis Diaz. Not only is he very good and his production in terms of goals and assists has really stepped up a notch this season. And he's become one tactically that the coach can finally trust as well. But he's just joyful. Like he's constantly backhealing the ball through people's legs, flicking it over their heads, rainbow flicks, all sorts. Like doesn't matter if he plays for Colombia or Porto or now for Liverpool, you know he will entertain you. And so not only is he excellent, but I can't wait to see him play in the Premier League. I can't wait to go to a stadium and watch him in the flesh because ultimately a part of
4: football is entertainment and Luis Diaz is the epitome of that. Do you know some bad news though, Sam, about this transfer? We were going to be watching him next week because we're going to Porto and we're going to actually not be able to see him because he's not there. Like that That's bad news for us because we're actually going to a Porto game and I thought we were going to see him and we're not. We could have seen him sooner than we actually will by by him staying where he was. He's out the list. We've, we've, I'm, I'm afraid, listed. We've had to remove you from Another the list. Another reason for me to knock Liverpool. Mm. And there's
0: a there's a level here. To this is a really lovely chance for Liverpool, and I'm really excited about it. And actually, I'm gonna. We, I want to talk about kind of long term planning a bit at the end because I don't know who you've got in at number one. Um, but I do think you t- you can tend to tell who the teams really in control of their futures are by the teams that aren't just signing players for, oh my God, we need to fix everything right now, but the ones signing for, for players two years in advance. And I think that, that Liverpool have, have done that a little bit here and that look we're looking at the reformation of this front line at some point. Someone is going to finally have to step in. We've seen Diego Jota start to do so. And imagine Luis Diaz is another one who becomes the kind of second incarnation of this front line. Um, so there's all of these different kind of elements Elements to it um but when you when you kind of look at this for for Porto's perspective um I'm a slightly bit concerned that they're obviously currently as we speak nine points clear at the top of the primada. um sporting play tonight or it will be last night by the time you're listening to this um where they should close that to six points next week we're going to that derby um, the, the the Sporting Porto game if they don't win that game then suddenly it's three points and when you look at who Sporting have brought in in this window um, where it does feel like they have had themselves a bit of a window Marcus Edwards, someone we really like come in for about 7 million from Guimaraes. Um Islam Samani has come back um, from from Leon. so they've picked up a few players, the only player they really lost Tiago Tomas who's gone to Stuttgart which I like as a, a transfer as well, but does feel like they've probably strengthened in this window where Porto have got slightly weaker. Obviously, they brought uh, Steven Eustachio in to kind of replace Sergio Oliveira, um, and, and there's that kind of element, but that feels like a bit like for like. Losing Luis Diaz, much as there are talented uh, footballers in all of these positions already at Porto, losing Diaz and Corona in the same window is a lot. Um, And I'm slightly concerned that this might turn the tide of the title race in Portugal.
3: Well, maybe. I mean, look, Porto did do some really late business themselves, didn't they, in the back of this? They ended up with... um... I'm not familiar with him, but Galeno from yeah. Braga. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, man, he has the most assists in uh, Europa League history. There you go, bang, random fact. Oh yeah, it's that Galeno, right? So, yeah. so,
3: so he's a he's a winger, right? So I'm presuming that they've they've already identified their replacement. He was looked like he's about eight million, so good profit. It's the, it's the way Porto work. So let's see how quickly he can settle in. But yeah, from Liverpool's perspective, this is exactly the body they needed. Um, they've done really well to refresh what was a legendary. Let's put it that. Let's put it. Clearly, it's a legendary front three of Mane, Firmino, and Salah, and no one really thought that they were going to be able to to re- freshen that up without disrupting things. But they've done it with Yogo Jota, and they've done it really, really well. And Luis Diaz is exactly the kind of player they need to add to this rotation. It's 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 the perfect deal, really, for me particularly because he comes off the left side rather than the right and it's not to upset and disrupt Salah, who's in contract negotiations. These things have to be taken into consideration. So it's a wonderful deal. He's a great player. It's a pretty reasonable price. I think Liverpool have have done really well. Yeah.
0: Okay. fair enough. Um, Let's get to number one then, shall we? Let's get to the big one.
3: Number one is Julian Alvarez from River Plate to Manchester City. Yeah. Well, I'm very, very excited about this player. I've seen different reports on the fee. Um, looks like it might end up at up to about 20 million, maybe like an initial 14 or something like that. It does include a loan back um, to the summer, uh, which benefits River Plate as well. Probably made them a little bit more interested in in doing business. Um, our friend Santi Bowser on on Twitter pointed out that this is a big fee for Argentinian football. Like Argentina lose a lot of players. They lose a lot of prospects to Europe they don't often go for this much money even the best ones even someone like lautaro martinez i think was like 9 million or 10 million or something so this is a real step forward for sale prices in their domestic league but it does also give you an indication of just how good this player is and man city planning ahead just like liverpool have picked up a really quite a special player here so alvarez i'm sure you've seen the highlights and the youtube clips by now if you haven't seen him in person but He's just a really special player. He's got this this X factor about him. He's got this special ingredient. He's two-footed. He can finish from pretty much any angle, either foot, different powers, different ranges, different styles, um, instinctive, take his time one-on-one. He's got so much composure and there's an elite timing and rhythm that underlines his game. And he is so good at dropping off, receiving the ball flicking it wide and then just ghosting in behind the centre-backs or the defenders or finding a little pocket of space to receive that cross back and turn it home and it just feels he has this inevitability about him and he's a really busy body off the ball as well he puts his, he gets through the hard yards and I don't know there's, there's something I can't quite put my finger on exactly who he's like because I actually can't think of anyone that he truly epitomises but there's definitely a bit of Carlos Tevez in there there's definitely no Sergio Aguero don't call him that like i saw the whole argent argentina man city striker like oh new aguero like no way not even close they're not, not stylistically not to- not stylistically yeah. they're, both they're not lovely players. finishes of a football though. Both both in back in the net yeah. Was. <laughs> absolutely yeah and Alvarez's production this season or last season in Argentina was, was stunning like he got to a point where he was scoring a goal every game you know it was a one in one ratio absolutely amazing I'm very very excited about Alvarez um, putting him number one I, I'm sure I'm sure it does feel bold but you only need to see this guy play a couple of games to realise just how much he promises yeah
0: I think this is it. It's that level of how far can you plan in advance, right? And it goes back to what was just kind of getting at with Liverpool. The fact the City have gone, OK, 20 million here, while while Juventus are out spending 70 million on Dusan Vlaovic. Now, you know how hot I am on Vlaovic. You know how, how much I rate him. But thinking ahead and thinking a little bit differently is the mark of a team... In advance of themselves rather than the mark of a team chasing their own tails. And Juve, I think, have had a good window, right? I think they've been, I think eventually, ultimately, they've got to the end of this and they've succeeded in trying to plug the holes that they had in the side um, whilst getting some big wages off the books, um, whilst starting to refresh that middle. I think they've had a good window. But the difference between them scrambling around to have players that need to hit the ground running or things could go wrong and Man City going yeah you can have him for six months maybe nine it depends how you get on in the Libertadores you know it's all good you just it feels like such a different level of planning of commitment saw that City signed Jacancello to a a new deal this morning you know it just feels like they've got their books in order um and and that means so much. And it feels similar for Liverpool at the moment, right? And, and that's what I'm saying. These clubs that didn't necessarily have busy windows, but got a couple of deals done that you go, that could be really smart in a year's time. And I think what's most important here is that at the end of this season, we could be going, what a difference Bruno Gimardes made to Newcastle. We could be like, what a difference Ben made to Spurs. I don't think we're going to be saying that immediately about Luis Diaz or, and definitely not Julian Alvarez. But I think that in three years' time, we might look at that and be like, what a signing that was. And and that, for me, is the kind of mark of something that could be very, very special.
4: Mm. I mean, we'll see. Like, when he actually turns up at Man City, um, as it stands, like, he can stay at River Plate into next season. Um, Man City have got an option to, to bring him back slightly early, but um, as part of his agreement to stay, like, um, the, se- the season, the competitions there run into like September and maybe even beyond that. And um, Man City do have the option to pay a little money extra to, to bring him back before that if they need to. And look, the reason they would do that is if they don't sign another number nine. And this is why I don't actually know when we're going to see this player because... Look, Man City are going all out for Erling Haaland at the moment. Like they are trying to convince Haaland not to go to Real Madrid but to come to Man City. And if that happens, look the likelihood is it doesn't happen, but they're going to give it a go. And if Haaland does rock up at Man City, then it obviously impacts Alvarez and like how soon he's going to make his emergence on on the English scene, but ultimately Man City don't want to put any timeline on this they're very happy with what they've seen in the time they've been monitoring him Um, they think that they've got a potential star I'll be honest this player was touted around everywhere um, in the past few months maybe now looking back and seeing what Man City have been saying about him maybe that was an agent just doing work to scare Man City into actually triggering this deal and making them pay up the money it's possible but ultimately um, a lot of people very excited about him and now there's reason for people to go and watch more River Plate games because, um, especially Man City fans, they want to get they want to get a glimpse of what they're getting here.
0: I think so. I think
4: so. Um, Sam, I'm sure this list
0: was about thirty long at one point, and you've had to trim it down. So I think I'm going to give you the opportunity to
3: chuck in some honourable mentions. Oh, how many am I allowed? Is it a Jack you Collins? Throw, you can throw as
0: many honourable mentions in as you like, my friend.
3: Look, there's 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 probably another ten, fifteen names that, uh, in terms of transfers that I really, really liked. The one that I I genuinely sat here this morning and grappled with was Delhi Ali, because there's potential for the Delhi Ali deal to Everton to be really, really astute. It seems like they've paid literally nothing up front and everything is in optional clauses and 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 bonus payments and and and, and certain conditions being met. Now the deal could reach 30 or 40 million. I'm not sure exactly what the figure is, but in the end, that won't be looking so cheap. And there's no guarantee that happens because Deli Alli recently, for the last year, haven't seen much of him. And when I have seen him, he's looked a shadow of himself. Uh, He's lost his aggression. He's lost his attitude. And that was part of what made him such a good player. So there's a job on Everton's hands there and Frank Lampard's hand in particular to restore Deli Alli to what he previously was. And because there are no guarantees there, even the zero pounds up front didn't quite roll it for me and I didn't want to put him in the list, but let's just put that one on alert. Um, Dennis Zachariah to Juventus for about five million contracts expiring. Really cheap, but again, he needs to recover some form after a serious injury. There are no guarantees. Robin Gerson's would have made this list had uh, Benton, Diaz, and Alvarez not rocked up on January 30 and January 31. And... Hazes Corona was very cheap for Sevilla, but it doesn't excite me as much as the other ones. So I didn't pop him in. And then there's the Luca Dean, Kieran Trippier, Kudusevsky didn't quite qualify. All of these players, I'm, I'm a big fan of those deals. In, and, and to be honest, Jonathan Acone, Sophia Rontina, Jack, is a, is a pretty astute piece of business as well. 12, 13 million or something like that. That's that's not bad at all. So there's plenty of other names there. Um, and I'll allow you to just add more, mate. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna chuck too many more in after that. I think Coutinho is is one that has the potential to be a, a bit of a game changer. I, I really, really like that. Um, I think it's a, a really clever move from pretty much everyone involved. I'm, I'm excited about seeing Donny Van der Beek play some football, So that's nice. Um, but it, <laughs> hopefully, Delielli doesn't general, make it Hopefully, Delielli. I don't bench. know quite how they're going to make <laughs> that one work, but we'll, well get there. They're
3: playing there. two eights, aren't
4: they? They'll, they'll well, we'll eights. see. Won't we? Two eights we'll with two eights with two players who are number tens. Got it. Literally, um, what Lampard's going to do, though, isn't it? Like you've seen what he tried to do at Chelsea. He'll play four three three, and he'll see two of them as eights. Like that's he talks about it so much. They decide that he does not really see tens as often being worthwhile because they spend too much time standing in spaces that two eights could actually be moving into. Like that's his vision of it because that's what he spent most of his career trying to do. I think. Well, the, yeah, the line between eight and ten has become a bit blurred.
3: I mean, he definitely played Mason Mount as sort of like a, I mean basically Deli Ali is going to be playing the Mason Mount role for Frank yeah, Lampard yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if Mason Mount's career trajectory is anything to go by it's going to be a roaring success but yeah, yeah there's some work to do
0: yeah, I mean, look, there was a couple of smaller transfers that have probably slipped under the radar. I thought yesterday, I know Ahmed Hodzic moving to Bordeaux was really, really intriguing um, on a relatively low fee. As someone who's incredibly highly rated, I know by the analytics community um, and a lot of people in in that kind of mix. Um, I know that I know that he's he's very much rated by them. So. Yeah, on the whole, I thought that one was intriguing. Um and there's a couple of teams that I think have done really well. I, I like I like what Venezia have done. I like what Hatafe have done. I like what your Granada have done, Sam, um, which is which is pretty cool. Um I thought Her to Berlin have had a good window. Uh, both sides of the old firm, I think, will be happy with their business. Obviously Rangers picking up Aaron Ramsey and Dialo on loan deals, I think they'll be delighted with, but Celtic bringing... You know, three more players in from the J League and Matt O'Reilly, who already looks like he's excellent. We talked about a bit last week. Um, I think they've both been they, they've both been active and they'll both be happy. And, you know, when you listen to this, there will be an old firm on tonight um, on Wednesday night. So that will be the, the first marker of how those players can step up to the plate in the biggest game of all in Scotland. So, uh, yeah, I mean, some intriguing ones in, in that regard. Um, but I know there's one last one that you wanted to, to chuck in as a, an honourable mention with some with some insight.
3: Yeah, a bonus transfer just for everybody to keep their eye on. And we've we've teamed up with our friends at, at Scouted Football to bring this one because they're the authority on this man. It's Patrick Berg who has joined Lons in January. Have, again, happened really, really early on, but made his name in Norway. Has been part of an amazing story with Bodo Glimt, part of the team that beat Jose Mourinho's Roma, 6-1, and led him to ostracise five players, part of a team that has won titles in incredible circumstances. And he's joined on quite a cheap deal. It's a good bit of squad building. And we asked Lou
2: from Scouted Football to give us the lowdown on his time in Norway. Uh, hi, guys. Basically, Berg was bordeaux Glimt, and bordeaux Glimt is Berg. Patrick was the third generation to play for the club after his father and grandfather the latter of whom is uh, regarded as a bit of a club legend. But Patrick was the only one of the Berg family to bring a national title to the club, and he did it twice in consecutive years. I think the likes of Hauger, Zinkanagel, Bottheim, and even maybe Bjorkan got a bit more attention, a bit more hype. But I think it's fair to say that Berg was the linchpin at the base of midfield. His role wasn't particularly expansive or eye-catching, but it was very important within the framework of Kjetil Knutsen's side. He set the tempo for on and off the ball, but particularly in possession, which they had quite a lot of. He was always creating angles to receive the ball. He was good at providing continuity and stability in that sense, and he'd fill the right spaces to help move possession on and recover it when needed. I think another aspect is his leadership was an obvious trait of his as well he was pretty demonstrative on the pitch in the way that he was uh, pulling players around and organising teammates and encouraging them and I think we've seen an aspect of that again in his limited time at Lons so far.
3: So now he's at lons and yeah, he hasn't made too much of an impact so far but it's another example of just impressive squad building and squad planning because well, lons have kind of fallen off a little bit um, in 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 League One sense. I mean, they were actually in an improbable title race at one point uh, a couple of the months ago but Part of their season, a big part of their season has been the central midfielders. It's been Cech de and Seco Fofana, who have both been amazing. And a club of Lanza's stature, they're they're probably aware of the fact that they they can't hold on to both or, or even either of those guys for too much longer. So what do you do if you're smart? You get your replacement in nice and early and you blood them in Leicester style. And Patrick Berg now gets half a season in a top five league to find his feet. And then I would imagine that from next season, one or both of Fafana or Decore will leave and Patrick Berg will become the heart and soul of Lons' midfield. So just one as a bonus for everyone to keep an eye on. Seco Fafana,
0: Fulham legend. Um, I'll have you know. Thanks very much. Uh, 25 <laughs> games in the championship at one point and a, and a great time. Um, talking of random ones uh, and also just as a, as a last point, uh, the brother of the truth made a move. How about this? Runa Horger. Uh, brother of Jens Petter um, Truth Jens Petter uh, has moved to Hibernian look at that what a random little deal that is to Uh, go and play uh, with John McGinn's brother well, to go play with John McGinn's brother and Sylvester Jasper, youth, uh, youth prospect out of Fulham. So uh, they're all there having a great time together. So just wanted to keep an eye on if you're watching any Scottish football. The, I don't know what you, maybe we call him the light. You know, like the, if they've got another brother, we'll call him the way. And then we're going to have the way, the truth, <laughs> and the light um, uh, all coming out of Further Glimpse. Um, right. So after the break, we have him Mellow of the Week and, of course, the Gibberish Rankings. How? Welcome back to Ranks FC. Where it's time for
4: my favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, all yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is West Ham's transfer team. I'm, I don't know who to single the blame on here, but um, overall, this was an absolute shambles. They set out in January looking out looking for two players, primarily a centre-back and a forward. Their plan was to do... Loans, if they possibly could. Um, they had a small budget, if not. They were linked with a lot of players in both of those positions I mentioned. Um, so, the likes of in defense Tarkovsky, Nat Phillips, Kletter Carr, Bubika Kamara, Kamara, uh, the forwards uh, Zapata, Schick, Darwin Nunez, um, Eki Teki, Bama Dieng, Jonathan David, Ennaziri, Brereton Diaz, Origi. And then they were linked with Jesse Lingard every single day as their luxury player that they could bring in and bring a new vibe to West Ham. Anyway, what they actually ended up doing was they bid £50 million each for Rafinha and Calvin Phillips, who there was absolutely not a hope in hell they were going to get. They failed to sign every single name that they were linked with throughout the window. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, they just left it too late to, to do the business they actually wanted to do. on On deadline day... They was talking to Darwin, uh, talking to Benfica about that deal. And Benfica were like, yeah, look, come back in the summer and maybe. But this is too late. Yeah, they were late. like, that fee,
0: that fee seems acceptable, but we're just definitely not going to have enough time to get a replacement in. Well, Sorry, yeah, we lads. can't
4: do this deal today. And then there's a patter. they talking to Atalanta at 7 o'clock on deadline day. And Atalanta are like, look, you've been talking to us for a little while, so of Newcastle, but it's too late. You have missed it. So they didn't get it done. And Coletta Carr, they wanted a loan. Um, was it Marseille wanted a, a, a permanent and they were like, just didn't agree to it. This is all so Melanish at a time when West Ham had a great chance to just strengthen their squad a bit here and improve their chances of making it into the top four. They're looking back on a window when they did nothing of any significance. And yeah, I think that's Melanish. Mm. They let it's an under-23 uh, defender go to Betis. So thanks for that, lads. Yeah, they're even yeah, There you go. I mean,
3: we—we, we, I mean, maybe not we. I have been saying for the last like four months, like they're just not—they just don't have enough players um, for this for this campaign in which they're they're going to be playing Europa League football, cup football. They ended up getting to a a cup quarter final, um, uh, or a semi final, whichever one it was, and they're still in the Europa League, and they've got a full stick Premier. All into, the I've eggs seen it. in the Europa League basket. Just stick like, them all see, in it. Yeah, I've seen it before though, and they will—they will if they try to go full frontal on on all of them, then they will—they will crash physically in about March and they didn't have enough players at the time and now they've lost players to injury on a long-term basis um, and they haven't solved any of the problems. I mean, the the problem with with pursuing Darwin Nunez on deadline day is he's in South America playing for Uruguay. Like, not only is it incredibly difficult to get a deal done with work permits involved and stuff like that and for a £50 million transfer as well with four hours to go, the man is on a different continent. Like, you've got to be a bit more better prepared than that. Yeah, not very good. Not very good at all.
0: That's the gibberish alarm. We're keeping it short and sweet today. Uh, Sam, over to you.
3: Yeah, continuing the theme from the rankings of Pearls of Wisdom from Sam Tai, um, I've decided to deliver my top three everyday life tips that you can employ from the word go or from tomorrow morning if you feel that's necessary and your life can improve exponentially from there.
0: Right. This sounds, this sounds dramatic. Let's go.
3: Yeah. No, it's not ominous. This is good. You'll, you'll be really impressed. At number three for five minutes every day, stretch your back out with a yoga move called child's pose. It's really, really easy to do. It does so much for you if you sit down in an office chair every single day or you get crumped up, or even to be fair, if you're out active and your back hurts after a long day, I don't know, doing physical work. If you do five minutes in the morning of stretching out your muscles, it will improve your posture and your level of comfort so much. And it will fight against that horrible thing that happens when you sit in an office for 20 years and you come out of it and your back doesn't work properly. Five minutes is all you need. This is exactly how I'm so tall.
0: Wow. I always thought there must be a secret. No one's ever it's told stre- me it.
3: There's a stretching machine I as I was younger. I wait to
0: be six foot in a couple of weeks after this. It's
3: really, it's so easy. It's five minutes. And once you get into the habit, you'll do it all of the time. And it will, it will help you so much. But particularly if you've got an office job and you're in a chair. Okay. All right. And what's it at two? At number two, I recommend that you stand on one foot while brushing your teeth, making a cup co- tea your coffee or making toast. Now, the reason for this is quite simple. First of all, you're not doing that much while you're stirring a tea or making a coffee or brushing your teeth. You're not moving, right? You just kind of stood there. So stand on one foot. It will improve your natural balance. It will improve your strength of your ankles, your calves, and reduce all of that kind of natural laxity. And if you're you're playing sport... Then this will improve your strength in your lower legs, and it will prevent injuries, or at least makes make it so that they're not they're not quite as severe if you do it. If you strengthen your ankles, if you turn your ankle, it will help. Genuinely, this is an exercise I was given to do, or a little a little thing I was given to do during physio when I'd done my ankle. I was going to say you have glass time. ankles, don't you? Well, not anymore, mate. They're strong as anything. Yeah, I've never. I've I stand never on had one foot. I stand on one, foot. I stand on one foot while I brush good, my teeth, and just now good and ankles. now I'm. <laughs> I'm
0: invincible now. Oh, okay. You're, you're built of sterner stuff now. Are you? Absolute graphite
3: ankles. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I should actually touch for it. I really am not invincible. And I'm now really, <laughs> really, really scared about the next time I play football now. Um,
4: but yeah, it yeah, didn't go well two. last time, did it? When you got hit in the face. Yeah, very true. Actually, <laughs> the last time we played,
3: Jack and I, uh, telekinetic, telekinetic partnership on a fiber side pitch. We did uh, one of those. Uh, we scored
0: one of those goals, you know, like Thierry Henry and Robert Pires scored uh, from the penalty spot, where like got the roll over, sent the keeper, and then just rolled it back to tap in. Well, they didn't uh, score day really- did they,
4: they missed it. Oh, who scored it? Someone scored it. <laughs> yeah, they they probably it probably was. No, it was more, it was more scored, like on a I'm sure cheering.
0: they scored their first one and then they did it again and they didn't score. Yeah, it well, got disallowed.
4: I was at the one at Highbury and they definitely messed that up. Yeah. No, Whatever it, it is. It, it might telecast. be been It
0: might have been Cruyff. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, it was Cruyff
4: and
3: Maradona. <laughs> there you go. Again, again.
0: Um, okay. Okay, 1? Number one?
3: number one, this requires no physical effort whatsoever. So it is the easiest and it is the best. Just a simple life tip When you go to a restaurant and you pick up a menu, order food that you cannot cook for yourself. That way you will broaden your horizons, you will enjoy new things, you will try new things, and you'll get an extra special kick out of it because it's not something that you could potentially be disappointed with or think, well, I could have made this at home. Now, obviously this doesn't really relate to like burgers or something, but then again, good burger restaurant. They'll probably make a burger you can't make. But in a typical place, just order something that you couldn't possibly make at home or don't have the time to, and you'll get an extra special sense of enjoyment out of it. That's something I put into place like 10 years ago, and it's definitely meant that I've tried new foods and liked new things, but also just it makes dining out, given that you're paying for it, a bit bit better, a bit more special and, and probably worth the money paying for it.
0: Yeah. I like this as a rule. Um, it's like that kind of like, if you go to, unless you're at like a specialist pasta restaurant, Mm, mm. I'm probably not getting something that I can make. I like pasta. I'm good at making it. I make nice homemade, fresh pasta. I've got all the ingredients, having a good time. Um, but I couldn't
3: make a risotto, like no chance
4: ever. I can make
3: make a mean risotto. It's too difficult. I can't be bothered. I couldn't make so a pepperoni fine.
4: passion, so that's why. I don't <laughs> know <what I'm>
3: <laughs> to be fair, mate, you couldn't make a pizza as good as Domino's do. I couldn't, no. No way. No, you have mastered no that. There you go, masters you go. of their art, masters of there their craft. Go. Who deserves it more? I think on the note that
0: we couldn't make pizzas as well as dominoes, it's probably time <laughs> to call this a day, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that's All that left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Tsai for a wonderful ranking and some, uh, some real insight on those transfers. Thank you, Sunny. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you, of course, to Mr. Dean Jones. And thank you for all your work across the transfer window. It's been a busy
4: one. We had fun. Cheers, mate. Yeah, I'm going to bed now. It is time for you to go to bed for at least I'll a week. see you in end of May to start yeah. doing Remember, remember <laughs> to do your stretches when you wake up. Otherwise,
2: okay.
0: yeah. And then, and then oh, you mate. and I
4: will both be six foot. Um, it's it's all so very exciting.
0: much hibernation. You definitely need to stretch after that, mate. Indeed, indeed. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We will see you next week, Rank Squad. Take
3: it easy. squad building, and we asked Scouted Football to give us the lowdown on his time in Norway.
4: (laughs) That's perfect.
0: (laughs) Final seconds of the game. A chance to score, and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify.
1: slash ranks.